Bom dia, boa tarde. Welcome to another PortugueseSoccer.com podcast. I'm your guest host, John Neves, back here again to talk about my favorite subject, your favorite subject, and that is, of course, Portuguese soccer, Portuguese football, whatever word you use in your part of the world. I hope this episode comes to you safe and sound and really excited to be back here talking about Portuguese, uh, the Liga, some national team news, uh, a lot to talk about, obviously, controversies with uh, the sporting celebrations, the Champions League coming to Porto, and I'm going to be talking all about that in this episode. Uh, solo episode, my apologies, uh, did not work out for a guest uh, this week, but obviously I'll be working on that for the uh, future. But I'm going to start off first, uh, we are down to our final week of the season, uh, round 33 this weekend, of course, the Derby being the big deal. And then after this weekend, they will announce the schedule, usually the last match day of the season. Um, they don't um, really do an announcement until they know which teams have to play important matches because anybody with the same competitive interest usually wind up playing at the same time. And as a result, um, you know, they announced, announced that schedule a little bit later. But essentially this weekend... The middle of next week, and then that's it. The season's over. Um, you know, when you think about the fact that we started in September, about five to six weeks later than usual, all this congested schedule, a super tasa during December, national team break a few times, you know, European football, tasa de Portugal. It all got done, and obviously it got done on a very tight schedule because you got the Euro next month. But um, we have crowned the champion, sporting after 19 years, as you know. Um, and I want to share with you my experiences regarding going to see a sporting celebration in my region. Um, I do a lot of traveling generally, maybe not these days, but certainly pre-pandemic. A lot of travel in May, especially in the month of June. And at times when I've been out of town... I go looking for a Portuguese community if there's a you know a national team match or a celebration. Case in point, 2016 when Portugal played uh, Poland, and I think it was the quarterfinals. I was in uh, Montreal, so I went to the local Portuguese community on Saint Laurent. I probably didn't pronounce that right. I'm sorry, but I think from Montreal, you know what I'm talking about. And I watched that match. I watched the penalty kicks, and then I watched all the fans celebrating in the street. Um, I watched a few years later when Portugal was in the World Cup against Russia and they played Spain. That uh, day I was in Toronto in the Portuguese community when Cristiano had that free kick with the uh, draw with Spain. Had a chance to watch it there and watch all the fans uh, celebrate in that city. When we won the League of Nations a few years ago, I was actually out of town in Orlando, Florida. Went to a local Portuguese restaurant there with some people I knew um, and went to you know watch it there with some people. So uh, I am known... For anyone who knows me to, you know, go to the local Portuguese area, which a uh, little bit far away from me, got to take some trains and transfer and things like that. But I have to travel uh, to Newark and uh, I've seen Benfica uh, parties in the street when they won on Ferry Street. I've seen Porto. I didn't really see much last year because of the pandemic, but I have, uh, you know, on occasion seen Porto. And I went uh, this past Tuesday, I, I, you know, went there in the afternoon and wanted to be there to see. And I, I saw some people going up and down ferry celebrating, honking their horns, waving their sporting flag or putting the sporting flag in the uh, back window so it hangs, uh, driving around, uh, you know, uh, Ferry Street. 
Uh, but in order to really get the flavor, I basically went to a place in uh, Newark called uh, Ladres de Lyonge, which is a club. It's been around many, many years. I was there, must have been more than 10 years, maybe more than 15 years ago. I went there with a, a friend of mine. And I checked it out and I went back again because I wanted to get that sporting experience of the fans celebrating. And uh, I'm walking up the street. Um, I had a uh, friend of mine um, who's not a sporting fan, but he knew where it was. He was very kind to give me directions. And I'm walking up the street. I don't see anything. I don't hear anything. I didn't see a lot of cars double parked. Um, and then all of a sudden, once I started getting closer, I could hear some music. I heard people you know, laughing. I saw a lot of people walking in. I saw the the gates that are green and white, and boom, there I was in the middle of the celebration. Uh, everybody wearing the traditional sporting uh, jerseys, the kits. Uh, went inside, had a super box, came outside, watched everybody celebrate, everybody hugging. Um, like I said, I like to do this when, you know, I like to go, whatever it is, Portugal, Benfica, Porto, in this case, sporting. Um, I'm just somebody that likes to be a part of that environment. And, uh, you know, a lot of frustration was let go that night after 19 years. Um, I think a lot of the people that were there probably will remember very well the last time they won. But there was also a lot of young people there that got a chance to experience it for the first time. And I was joking around with somebody and they said to me, you know, the big three now really means the big three. And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, sporting finally won. And now we can honestly say that the true meaning of the big three, where you have three true contenders, is true. And I thought that was a pretty good point. So sporting uh, wins their first title. Uh, after uh, 19 years, and again, it was a tremendous uh, festival. And I'm going to talk about what happened in Portugal in my next segment, but obviously it was a lot of news. I got home that night, and I couldn't believe, you know, you're talking about things in the middle of the night going on in Portugal, this big parade that was still going on, the bus trying to work its way to March to Pumbal, and I couldn't believe how late it was going on. But uh, that was kind of nice to still see that and go home and still watch that uh, live on RTP International. And, uh, you know, again, congratulations to sporting fans. Congratulations to sporting. Um, 34 rounds is a long season. Um, and they are, with two matches left, undefeated. That's really the goal for sporting now that they've won it. Now it's can they finish the season without a loss and set that record uh, in terms of their club. Um, I believe they already have the record for most consecutive matches without a loss, but they want to set, you know, continue to set records. And Ruman Abarin, hot prospect, we'll let y'all talk about in the next segment. Um, you know, he even said it that they're not going the Stadio de Luge for the Derby to party and, you know, wear, you know, paint their hair green like, you know, teams that do when they celebrate. If you remember in the past, I remember when Porto won, the Porto players would decorate their face and some of them would color their hair blue. And I remember seeing that growing up. Um, but Sporting's still going to take these last two matches seriously. They want to finish strong. You remember last year, they finished in fourth place last year. Remember they lost their last two games when play resumed and they went from like, I think that one point there was like second place and they finished in like fourth. Uh, it's been a heck of a year for Sporting, a heck of a year We'll see what happens this summer with regards to, you know, the sales. But uh, there's no doubt that start to finish thus far, Sporting has been the most consistent team. And um, I think they've done a, a really good job. Uh, other news that will be coming up next week when I talk about the upcoming schedule. Fernando Santos will be announcing his 26-player uh, squad list for 
the uh, European Championships next month. Obviously, most competitions, it's 23, but because of the pandemic and making sure that if players test positive, that there's still players that can be used, they're going to go to 26 uh, UEFA, and that's going to be announced uh, next Thursday. It'll be an evening event, TV event, and then Rui George, who just got his contract renewed, he will announce his uh, squad for the under-21s, which at the end of May will resume the knockout stages of the European Championship. If you remember recently, they did the um, they had the group stage play. Uh, I think it was in Croatia and Portugal advanced, and uh, they'll be playing. I think it's Italy they'll be playing at the end of May. So the under 21s also, of course, will be in action. So next Thursday, Fernando Santos will be announcing his squad. And then on Friday, uh, Rui George will be announcing his squad. And then, of course, uh, like I said, you got the, uh, round 33 this weekend. You finish up the middle of the week with the final match day with the schedule still to come. And then next week, you have the Taça de Portugal. Uh, Benfica and Braga each playing for a trophy this season. We've had, you know, Porto won the Super Cup. They had a trophy. Sporting won the Taça de Liga and the Liga. So they got two trophies. And now Benfica and Braga, one of them is going to walk away with a trophy. Uh, JJ said that uh, it's a trophy and it's it matters. It's the Taça de Portugal. Um, so they're going to be playing for that next weekend. The match, of course, is in Coimbra. No word yet on whether or not they're going to have any fans at that matches. But, uh, you know, obviously it's not in the, the Jamor for the second straight year, not the traditional place. Certainly not the traditional time with the 2030 kickoff. We're usually used to it like around 1,700 hours or so, 1,730. Uh, but nevertheless, we have the Taça de Portugal. And then after that, uh, it's going to be all about the national team. It's going to be about the players getting Fernando Santos, getting them ready to defend their title. And then we're going to hear a lot of rumors about players being sold uh, this summer. Nuno Manja obviously comes to mind. Pote. Uh, is Seferovic going to come back for a Benfica? Uh, Porto's got an interesting situation. They lost, of course, Merega on a free. Uh, I was listening to a uh, show uh, on RTP the other day about how Porto, you know, I think, you know, Herrera. Brahimi and Almerega have left on a free. And, you know, when it comes to a Portuguese club, that's not a good thing to lose players on a free. Uh, but they did manage to, you know, uh, re-sign Octavio, which is a very good news. And um, But, uh, you know, you're going to have all that news this summer that's going to be coming up. And I think this summer, in terms of the football soccer schedule, the calendar, I think, you know, players are going to get their break. The national team is going to still play the European Championships. And then once you get to like the beginning of July, clubs are going to start to resume play. We're going to have, of course, uh, the, the preseason matches, the matches presentation to the fans. And then, of course, the European club qualifiers for those clubs that got to play in them, you know, the end of July and August. So I'm, things are looking pretty good this summer in terms of the regular schedule. And I think for that, that's a very uh, good thing. <laughs> Part two, and I wanted to talk about uh, Porto getting the uh, Champions League final, the uh, stadium. I wanted to talk about the sporting controversy this week, the celebrations, the government allowing fans back in. Uh, a few things maybe you don't know. Cristiano's sporting rumors continue. I also want to talk about these managers abroad. But I want to start off first with um, big, big news. As you already know, Porto, uh, Stadio do Dragon, is going to be hosting the Champions League final. Second year in a row that Portugal is basically helping UEFA out, and uh, Portugal gets to host. What it really is, when you think about it, after the World Cup final, the next most popular 
individual match in the world, which is the Champions League final. That's that's kind of a given fact based on the TV numbers. And uh, this is big news for Portugal. And let me tell you one thing that this does say about the Federation. The Federation is one of the best federations in the world. They organized last year's event where it was the quarterfinals, the semis, and the final. And they're hosting this year's final. Remember a few years ago, they hosted the brand new UEFA League of Nations competition, which we won. And uh, we know we're obviously always involved in European competitions, as evidenced by the fact we're going to be defending our title next month. So the Federation deserves a lot of credit. You know, they're the ones working with the government that are going to make this work. Uh, They've got a lot of smart people that work there. I know for a fact that uh, they even recruited some people from other parts of the world to go uh, work there. And the Federation, you know, we talk about sometimes the frustration in Portugal with the Liga. We talk about the refereeing controversies. We talk about how everybody feels the system is working against their team. I don't think most people really appreciate how great the football federation is. We spent so much time being negative that I don't think we could appreciate on an international level how the FPF is really a fantastic organization, a beautiful campus, the Cidad do Futebol, Football City. And they obviously paid a a big factor going to UEFA and saying, hey, we're here to help you again. They helped out last year with Lisbon. This year, to be fair, they offered uh, Porto. And because England wasn't able to give UEFA the exemptions they wanted, because you're talking about having fans in the stadium, you're talking about bringing sponsors and delegates from all over the world, Portugal benefits, specifically Porto in this case, to have those fans uh, basically now instead go to uh, Portugal. So again, Portugal is associated with one of the biggest brands in the world, which is the Champions League. And for the second year in a row, we are going to be hosting the Champions League final. And I believe this will be the third time, if you count, of course, uh, Benfica hosting it about, uh, was it, seven, eight years ago, uh, Real Madrid and Atletico, when they hosted that final in the Luge. So a lot to be proud of, but this is a big challenge. You're talking about bringing 6,000 Chelsea fans, 6,000 City fans, not to mention all the fans that are going to be coming on their own. Uh, They're going to have all these charter flights coming from England, they're going to try to create a bubble. They're going to try to put these fans in what they call these fan zones during the day. And basically, if you're a fan, you get it, you come in, you spend some hours, you go to the match, and then you leave right away. So I can only imagine the Porto Airport, how busy it's going to be that day, and the operation that they're going to have going. They're going to probably have to close down some roads so that these roads are just dedicated to the buses bringing the fans from the airport. Uh, and you know, there's a rule in Europe. I'm not sure about North America, but I know there's a rule in Europe because I once tried to leave late at night and I couldn't. I had to wait until 5 in the morning. But I think there's a rule in Europe that between like midnight and 5 a.m., plants can't take off from an airport because it's noisy. I'm not sure if they'll make the exception here because, you know, if the match is, uh, what is the match, 2,000 hours, it's over by 10, you'll have flights start to leave at midnight. So it's going to be a very noisy night probably over Porto. But... The sacrifice of just one day, it's not like this is an event that's going to happen for two weeks. This is pretty much looking like it's going to take place in one day. Is a tremendous boon for Portugal's reputation as a football soccer nation. It is a major operation that I'm sure we're going to hear about as the event uh, gets closer. Um, Again, I think that, you know, I I just wonder with the fans, you know, let's say you fly in, you get in at 10 o'clock in the morning. You go to this fan zone where you'll probably be able to drink and eat, and then all of a sudden you're taken to the stadium, and then after the stadium, taken to the airport. Um, 
that's a lot of time to be walking around one day and you know I'm, I'm guessing some fans maybe try to book a hotel to take a nap in the afternoon I, I don't know how that's going to work or if they're even going to allow people to leave the bubble this is called logistics in the business folks and I just wonder how they're going to do that and by the way there are going to be a lot of fans like I said are going to go to Porto they'll probably fly into Lisbon and then f- drive down to Porto that are going to try to get tickets too so um, because of the fact they're doing this bubble, this is obviously not great news for the Portuguese economy. You know, the hotels won't be able to benefit and the restaurants won't be able to benefit the pubs, everything, you know, that goes with when you have visiting fans like this won't be able to benefit because it's basically one day you come in and you leave. Um, so in terms of the big numbers, Portugal, you know, I know the tourism industry is a little bit sad about that. But it won't be able to benefit as if it was a normal year or a normal weekend. But it's still, nevertheless, good for Portugal to be involved. Um, And, of course, the fans that do come in that bubble, they have to have a negative test. Um, And like I said, I mean, Portugal, great at events. um, But there is some concern. You know, some people are concerned about what happened a few years ago with the League of Nations when there was some uh, issues with the English fans. Uh, I'm not saying that that'll happen with the uh, Chelsea and uh, City fans, but people still remember all those uh, incidents and the rock throwing and the the police having to come out with the batons. And, you know, that certainly did not work out well. So we'll see what happens. It's supposed to be a one-day thing. Um, If you're a fan... Hey, be happy that you're going to be able to watch your team, especially if you're a City fan and you haven't been able to watch them all year, or you're a Chelsea fan and you haven't been able to watch them all year in person. Now you get a chance to come to beautiful Portugal, and not to mention the fact that you also get to be able to see the most important match of the season, maybe one of the most important matches in your history. So that is, uh, you know, very, very good news. Now, the other downside to it, just talking about the fact that the Portuguese government is allowing fans for match day 34, the last match day, which is going to be the middle of next week. Um, The problem, though, is that you've had, um, you know, you have not allowed fans all year in Liga matches. You know, you, you, I think you had about two matches in the Azores. The, The Azores regional government allowed, I think, up to like 800 fans that came. But for the most part, the stadiums have been empty, and now you have this major international event, even though there's a bubble, where you're going to be allowed to have fans, and you know, if you're talking about at least 12,000 fans, 6,000 6, one team, 6,000 the other, and then, you know, the delegates and the sponsors and all that comes with a big event like this. Uh, there's a lot of people in Portugal upset that uh, an event like this is going to be able to have this many fans, and yet the Liga, no. Um, you know, the final match day, they're going to allow 10%, the league, uh, the government, 10% with a negative COVID test, and basically... Um, you know, they're going to allow fans. Now, the other controversy is, is that if you are the home team for that final match day, you get a home game with fans, even if it's only 10%. But if you're the visiting team, then you have no fans at all. And that's upset a lot of the teams. You know, there was a request made to have the final two match days. That way, every club gets at least one match at home with fans. And that will not be the uh, the case here. And, and in terms of the big three, Porto benefits from that. Sporting is going to benefit because they both host matches uh, weekday, uh, match day 34, but not Benfica. And we still don't know yet, by the way, if there's going to be any fans at the Taça de Portugal match uh, with Braga and Benfica and Coimbra. We still don't know yet uh, that yet because the government has come out, one of the ministers speaking on behalf of the prime minister, and said, look, us allowing fans on the final match day of 
week of round 34 is basically a test case. People shouldn't assume this means that fans are all coming back, that this is just a test case. So a lot of people are upset that you've got a major international event where you are going to have a lot of fans, but you're not going to have a lot of fans for this event, for Liga matches, where they're going to be under you know restrictions. You know, fans aren't going to be sitting. You're only going to have 10% fans. 10% fans in the big stadiums in Portugal is, believe me, there's a lot of room to spread out. A lot of room. Uh, but that's caused a lot of concern. And I have to tell you something. If you are a Benfica fan or if you are a sporting fan, you should have loved to have seen this. Put colors to the side and just appreciate it. You got to give uh, uh, credit to the Porto supporters, the Super Dragões. Uh, basically, they did a video. They went to the mall, uh, one of the shopping centers. I, I believe it's the one that's across the street from the stadium there in, in Dragon. And there's three levels to it. And what they did is they, they decorated their banners on each level. And they had fans on each level in front of these banners basically singing mm -hmm. like they were at a Liga match in the stadium of the Dragon. And um, the visualization of it that those fans could do that inside a shopping center, inside a mall. And yet they can't do that in a stadium, especially if they're spread out and there's only 10%. I have to tell you, again, put your colors to the side. That was really a genius move. The, the visualization of that I saw was brilliant. I saw this on a casual ultra tweet. I'm guessing this took place in the past week. Uh, if not, please correct me. Uh, maybe one of the, the super dragoish is uh, somebody that works in marketing or advertisement because that was genius. It's too bad that the Benfica uh, supporters and the sporting supporters, the Braga, anybody didn't get behind this and do it in their own communities because I think that would have sent a very big signal about the fact that, you know, there's parts of Portugal where they are allowing activity, but yet when it comes to matches, they are being extremely careful, and uh, that's disappointed a lot of people. Now, what doesn't help this argument, this topic, is the fact that sporting this week, of course, I shared you with my experience in the previous uh, segment. Uh, they won after 19 years. Major, major feast in Lisbon. Uh, thousands upon thousands of people came out into the streets to uh, watch the bus make their way from Avalade to March de Pumbal, the historic uh, place in uh, Portugal where people go to celebrate major events. Not only just Benfica winning titles or sporting winning titles, but also the national team. It is the place that you go to celebrate. And um, But there's been controversy. Uh, a lot of people went out. Remember, we're still in a pandemic. There were people wearing masks, but there were also a lot of people not wearing masks. There wasn't a lot of social distancing. You could see a lot of crowds. You could see people in groups. Uh, and that's been a concern to the government. The Portugal president said they will see in basically two weeks to 30 days if there's going to be any super spreader events out of this, which... Portugal can't afford, again, Portugal's economy is based on tourism. It's based on opening up the economy, having tourists come back. So they're concerned about this with uh, Lisbon, um, not to mention the fact there's probably fans that came from outside of Lisbon to the streets, to into Lisbon to celebrate it. So it, it could kind of go beyond, uh, beyond Lisbon. But uh, the Interior Ministry of Portugal is going to investigate what happened. Uh, the Portugal Prime Minister has uh, been really criticized a lot um, over the fact that this happened. And he, basically the lawmaker said that this should have been better organized with the sporting fans. And basically uh, he said, I will not point the finger at anyone, 
neither at Sporting nor at the club's supporters or the police. He told Parliament on Wednesday, this is Antonio Costa, the Prime Minister, I will do what any responsible politician must do, which is to wait for the information to find out who is responsible. And uh, so this is a growing controversy that you've still got some restrictions. You've still got some places where there's curfews. And yet you had this big activity going on in uh, Lisbon. And um, it's upset a lot of people. Um, and the biggest thing that I think needs to be said about this is how could you have avoided this? First off, the media was reporting that there was going to be celebrations in Marx to Pumbal. There was a video in the news that showed the bus that Sporting used, an open-air bus. Uh, they caught it on video and they showed it in the news. The newspapers reported that there was going to be, you know, they talked about how there was railings already put in Marx to Pumbal. So everybody knew that there was going to be fans and that there was going to be a celebration. The question is, is did they know how big it was going to be? Because in all fairness, you had thousands upon thousands of people out one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. By the way, let's think about that for a second. There was that many people out at one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning celebrating like that during a pandemic. Um, and that's, by the way, a normal thing in Portugal. When Benfica's won in the past during normal times, Porto's won in the past. Look at the national team. You know, the celebration goes into the night, especially when Porto won the Liga Nations. Uh, uh, excuse me, Portugal won the Liga Nations. Um, you know, when uh, we won Euro 2016, the party went through the night. So that's not unheard of. The problem is, is so many people came out and apparently there's so much concern about the lack of social distancing. And, and to me, there's only one way they could have solved this. It would have been unfair, but, you know, one is they basically underestimated how many people were going to be celebrating. That's really the big problem here. Because if they didn't want anything like this and they didn't want fans congregating, they shouldn't have allowed the parade in the first place. And they should have just told Sporting to have, you know, a, a thing done inside the stadium where, you know, everyone could have seen the players raise the trophy, could have seen the players get the medals. I know they did something like that, but maybe they could have saved it for another day and made a big event out of it. I'm trying to remember last year what Porto did. I think they did a made-for-TV type of event, too. I know people came out and celebrated, but I don't recall Porto going around in the buses. Please correct me, by the way, if I'm wrong about that. I don't want to give out misinformation, but I don't recall Porto doing that last year when they won back in uh, July. Um... But this is a big controversy, and it's a big controversy because we are in a pandemic, and uh, there's a lot of people looking for answers, and there's a lot of people pointing their fingers at somebody else. So there's going to be an investigation, and they're going to figure out what that, what happens. But I think to me, the idea that everybody knew something was going to be going on, that there was going to be this festival, to assume that a lot of that a lot of people weren't going to come, I think that's the mistake. I think there was a major underestimation. And I think that's where the problem is. And if they didn't want to have these problems, they shouldn't have allowed the parade in the first place. But sporting fans came out in mass, celebrating after 19 years, letting off a lot of steam, a lot of frustration. Great job by sporting. And Ruben Amarin, is he going to be coming back next year? I know after the press conference, he said that he, you know, he mentioned that he loves it and he's going to come back. And I had a few people tweet me that after I asked that question, but it's, uh, you know, this happened this past Tuesday and come July and teams are throwing buyout money, 20, 30 million at sporting and Ruben Amarin is getting offered four to five million dollar a year salary from a big club in Europe. Folks, it's hard to turn down, my friends. It's hard to turn down. It's easy for you to say that as a fan because it's not you with the money. But I think there's a possibility. Hopefully, I hope he does stay. It would be nice to see him manage them in the Champions League and watch his star grow. 
But the bottom line is his star right now has never been any brighter. And in Portugal, we are a selling country with players and talent. And when the, when the, when the, uh, when you have to strike while the iron's hot, and that's the opportunity now. So uh, I'll talk about this in future episodes. But if you're asking me right now, I think 75% chance that a big club is going to come along and hire him. You'll see one of these days there'll be this big announcement that this big team is interested in him. And uh, I think he will go. But that's just my opinion. That is just honestly my opinion. I think he will go. But to summarize this controversy, if they didn't want any problems, they shouldn't have allowed the parade. I know that's rude to say, but the reality of the matter is only common sense says that if you have a bus with the players going around the city to march the Pumbal, it's only natural that fans would have gotten excited and it's only natural that there would have been problems. I think to me it's called common sense, but there's going to be an investigation and we'll see if in two to three weeks this is a super spreader event in Portugal, which we don't need. That is not something that after three months of lockdown, you want to all of a sudden take a step back when people are finally able to at least start doing some things. Especially when at least you're allowed one match day, even if it's only one, you're allowed fans back. And right now you don't want football tainting or hurting anything about fans having come back when we have, you know, the preseason friendlies and the European qualifiers once those start, you know, the club qualifiers start in, uh, you know, end of July, August. You know, you want fans to come back even if it's a limited number. And you don't want to jeopardize that if this turns out to be a super spreader event. Uh, back in the news this week, Cristiano Ronaldo's mom, um, you know, I, I think, you know, for you, for you don't know, she's a personality in Portugal, also in herself, very popular in Portugal, and uh, she mentioned, you know, whether or not it was joking or not that she was going to talk to Cristiano. Uh, maybe all this money that Sporting makes with the Champions League qualifying, maybe the money they're going to get. I mean, Nuno Mensch, Napoli, City, all the big clubs in Europe are starting to be linked with him. They're going to make a lot of money. We'll see if, in fact, that comes true. Sporting's looking to break their record. Uh, but she has said that, you know, and maybe she said it jokingly or, you know, being a mom, you know, she, she wants to say things and make people happy that she's going to talk to Cristiano. But I still think if you heard my previous episode that I think it's a long shot. I don't think that uh, Cristiano will come to Portugal. I think it would be, it would be great. It would be a tremendous story. Um, but, you know, especially if Ruben Amorim leaves, I, I, you know, if he stays, maybe that helps the chances. But I don't know. I don't know if uh, Cristiano's going to come uh, to Portugal. But nevertheless, that's a sexy story. It's a fun story, and we'll see if it comes true. You know, we'll see. I mean, sometimes we've been surprised, and we'll see if, in fact, this is going to be uh, one of those surprises. Uh, Portugal abroad, some some a few items. Balu Fonseca, Luis Castro, of course, he left Shakhtar this week. Uh, that's already That's kind of old news, but it became official this week. Victor Pereira. Rui Vitoria, Sapinto, Pedro Emmanuel just left his club this week. A lot of Portuguese managers this summer are going to be looking for a job. Uh, are some of them going to come back to Portugal and do like a Carlos Carvajal, manage uh, one of the uh, teams that tend to finish in the middle of the table? Uh, be very curious to see if that's going to happen. But I have to tell you, there's a lot of Portuguese managers that are available on the market this summer. And uh, we'll see how many of them get a job. Uh, Marco Silva is another one. I mean, I saw Marco Silva... Last week on television, um, part of these uh, segments where they have different people talking about, you know, the topics, the controversies in Portugal. And I saw him and it kind of hit me that he hasn't been, um, you know, he hasn't talked, uh, he hasn't managed in a little bit of a while. So, uh, and by the way, Leonardo Jardim is another manager that that doesn't uh, have a job right now. So a lot of names in Portugal. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this summer where they're going to wind up. They're free to sign for any clubs, of course. 
But I think the top of the list this summer, among all those managers, I think is going to be Ruben Amarin, and it'll be curious to see if he leaves. And again, I'll talk about that more in a future episode. Final segment of episode number 68. Thanks for listening. As always, really appreciate your support. I'm going to end it here with my usual Portugal uh, report, the COVID report. Uh, Friday, zero deaths. Zero is the best number these days. And uh, Portugal report another day. I think it's like the fourth one in the past two to three weeks of no deaths. Uh, Cases continue to be very low. Uh, the government is continuing slowly opening up things. There have been some uh, counties in Portugal that were still under some type of restrictions that have opened up because their cases are low. So Portugal as a whole is starting to open up, but there's still some restrictions. Uh, you know, bars and clubs are still closed. Restaurants still have to close at 10 o'clock at night, last I heard. Um, but things are opening up. Obviously, Portugal is on, on England's green list. Portugal pretty soon will allow people from England to come, obviously, with the Champions League, which I'll talk about, which I have talked about, excuse me, in this episode. And, uh, you know, I also said read something where uh, for those in North America that if you're vaccinated, that apparently Europe's going to let you in as well this summer. So, you know, look, it's only May. There's still a long way to go. But the bottom line is, is Portugal continues to heal. The numbers continue to be low. Great news with the Champions League. Um, And the bottom line is is that Portugal really wants to have a normal summer. They want the economy to come back. They want the tourism to come back. And so far, Portugal is on that path. And I think they need to be uh, congratulated uh, for everything they have uh, done. Folks, this has been episode number 68. Again, thank you for all your support. The numbers continue to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to um, not, of course, this last week of the season. Really looking forward to the Taça de Portugal. Looking forward to see who the 26 players are that uh, Fernando Santos will be calling up next Thursday. Looking forward to the build-up to the European Championships, which is just under a month away. The under-21s, of course, are going to be playing. And then, of course, all summer long, we're just going to have a bunch of news stories, uh, players being linked to this club and that club. So, hey, the good news is it's kind of normal for us in terms of football fans and uh, in terms of the fact that we're going to have, I think, close to a normal schedule this summer, at least in uh, football and soccer. Folks, as always, please stay safe. Please take care of your families. And I'll talk to you next time.